trip down memory lane if you remember uh, the sermon class. So this will be relationships with the spouse, and this side will be relationship with God. On this side, I'm going to use the term stages, um, just because that's what they are. Um, on this side, I'm going to use the word mansions. Um, I use the word mansions because this was the first person to delineate these stages was a woman named Teresa of Avila from Spain back in the day. Um, some different people, some more modern people have done it. I choose her um, way of doing it, one, because it, it, it seems to make more sense to me, and two, um, she's speaking more from personal experience and critical research, um, when you, especially when you get down to the real bottom level. Okay, so let's just do them. Let's start. Stage one on the relationship with your spouse, falling in love, right? That's what we all want. That's what we've been sold from the movies and it, I mean, this is it. This is the culmination of what love is, right? Um, this is not a hard thing to do, falling in love. Raise your hand if you've been in love. Yeah, see? Anybody can do it, right? Um, <laughs> there's actually a researcher, I was watching this TED Talk, and this researcher that she studies falling in love. And so she came up with about 40 questions that were increasingly more personal and she just would grab people off the streets, basically, these, these subjects, and say, okay, I want you two to sit in front of each other, look at each other, ask and answer these questions back and forth, and at the end of this, look into each other's eyes for four minutes. And the vast majority of these people fell in love with each other. Um, and the funny thing was, one of the guinea pigs didn't show up one day, and so she had to kind of fill in, and she was one of the people. She fell in love with a guy, and she was dating him at the time of the TED Talk. So... With a series of questions and a four minutes of eye contact, you can fall in love with about anybody. Um, so I don't, we, we don't need to figure out how to do that. Um, this is what we've been told. This is what to expect from love from, from the first start to the, to the end of it. Um, this is the honeymoon phase. You are perfect, and you're going to make my life perfect. Right? Remember that thought? If you're, maybe some of you are in it right now. Um, stick with it for a while. Um, <laughs> This is a mountaintop experience. Um, okay, over here, mansion number one, the experience of salvation. That's what we've been talking about. You've heard a lot about that. I don't need to preach a lot about that. But this is what we've been told. It's, it's all about that first experience. We feel this relief of forgiveness and this burden of sin that's been on our back that maybe we didn't even know was there is gone, and we have this freedom that we've never experienced. Um, we have this realization that God is real and he loves me so much that he was willing to give his own son so that he could be with me. It's also this wonderful period of communication with the Lord. We're hearing from him left and right. The Bible makes sense to us. We're opening it up. We're saying, the Lord's just telling me this and this and this. And all these coincidences happened in my life. This, I ran into this random person and she said this thing. And it's totally an answer to prayer. Um, that happens a lot in this initial stage. Uh, the Bible is alive and super fun to read. Prayer comes with feelings, often tears of gratitude and overwhelming joy. And you have this passion to share Jesus with other people. That's usually how it, it starts off with um, a relationship with the Lord. If you've never started on this relationship with the Lord, um, just say yes to him today, and then you get to start on that fun. It starts off as really, really fun. Um, it ends really fun as well, but it's not fun every single moment of every day. Okay, again, you're on the mountaintop in that first salvation experience. Uh, we get a lot out of that. Um, stage two power struggle and discovery. This is when our illusion about our, our uh, spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend is replaced by some disillusionment 
as our partner doesn't live up to our expectations. You know that picture of the notebook up there? That's our expectation a lot of times. And you remember, oh, wait a second. You're not, and wait, you're not making my life perfect. (laughs) You're an actual real person with issues just like I have, and that's kind of disappointing, right? Um, We learn about each other in this. We start divulging secrets. Um, We're testing out the relationship and the commitment here. We're saying, okay, if I let you know this about me, will you still love me? If you see me around my family, will you still love me? It's a little uncertain uh, what's going on there. Um, We either usually avoid conflict in this stage, but yet at the same time, we try to change the other person into what we need you to do. You guys ever try that? It works really well to change someone else so they can become the person that makes me happy, right? Liz tries it all the time, and it's not working. (laughs) Um, Many couples break up here, um, and this is a pretty natural place to break up if it's not the one for you. But some people, as soon as that feelings of passion go away, they just go look for somebody else. It's not always the right the right decision. Okay. But others learn, they stay engaged, they keep talking, they become vulnerable, and they move on to the next stage. Okay, on the spiritual side, overcoming sin is mansion two. It's a tough time, but you're still kind of exhilarated from the, the elation of the salvation experience, so you've got a lot of fuel in your in your engine. Um in this one, it becomes a little bit more simple. Because over here in the power, power struggle, I've got to figure out, what's my issues and what's your issues? You know, you need to change a little bit for me. Over here, not so much. <laughs> God is perfect. Um, so you don't need to ask that question. So you can just skip that part. I'm, if, it, if somebody needs to change here, it's me. If someone's messing up here, it's me. Uh, that makes it simpler. Um, in this stage, we learn to live for another and to say no to selfish desires see those more clearly. We learn to repent, ask forgiveness, and we begin to see ourselves for who we are. Okay, there's two greasers of the wheels, and this is one of them. In both of these relationships, if I can, if I can see myself for who I am, see my stuff, and repent of it, and ask for forgiveness, that is going to make things so much smoother in a relationship. If I say something stupid to Liz or do something stupid, and I can say, Liz, will you please forgive me? I just blew that up. Then that, it's pretty much over. She's going to forgive me. Um, but if I refuse to accept that fact, and I have this false self that I'm trying to protect, and I won't say it, oh, gosh, there's so much friction. There's so much lockout. I've seen that happen so much. Um, Liz is very good at that stuff, too. Um, okay. There's a hunger for knowledge and experience with him. And there's a struggle with desires that happens here. Um, you still want to do the old stuff you used to do that used to bring you pleasure, but you're learning to say no to that. But here's the good news of this. Once you get reach some of these stages down here, you don't even want to do that stuff anymore. Your desires change from within you, from the inside. But here on the front end, you still want to do that stuff. You're still very excited about this juicy piece of gossip that you'd like to pass around and you really like it, um, that you learn to say no to. Or there's a, you know illicit sexual thing that happens over here that you still would really be very interested in but you're learning to say no to it. Eventually, that desire will go away if you stay engaged. Romans 7, Paul talks about this classic statement of mansion number two. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not. But what I hate, I do. There's a war inside of us in in, uh, mansion two. All right, stage three, stability. 
It sounds good, but it's a, it's a little rocky, actually. <laughs> Some differences arise, but the focus, our focus becomes less on trying to change the other person into what we need them to be and more on trying to understand each other. Okay, I, I see this as different, but I want to understand you and wh wh what's going on here. Um, as stability grows and we're less worried about the other person leaving, we've established some kind of stability here. I don't think we're going to take off for every argument we have. Then conflicts become less scary and less threatening. And they may increase a little bit. <laughs> because if I'm not scared of you leaving, I might bring up some things that I wouldn't bring up otherwise. Does that make sense? Sadly, this is also the danger of this stability zone is sometimes it's where boredom comes. When we're not afraid of the person that might leave at any time, some of the drama leaves and it gets kind of boring and sometimes we'll stop pursuing, right? Um, there's, there's two kinds of intimacy. There's passive intimacy and there's active intimacy. Passive intimacy is we watch TV together. We're doing something just kind of watching somebody else do something or doing anything. We're not really face-to-face -face interacting. Whereas active intimacy, we're talking. We're, we're being vulnerable with one another. Um, sexual relationships, are, are th those are active intimacy as well. Um, sometimes we, draw, we get more and more and more in this stage, in this stability phase, into passive intimacy. Um, and we don't we see ourselves as more as cohabitants as we do lovers or spouse. Okay, um, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, not too long ago who was struggling in a marriage, and I'd heard about this book um, that might help. And so I said, let's get this book and we'll just do it together. I'll do it with my wife. You do it with your wife. Um, it's called The Love Dare, um, and it's amazingly practical and really really good if you're if you kind of find yourself in this kind of bored not pursuing stage, you look at yourself, I'm not really pursuing very well right now. Um, and I found it to be super practical and helpful. I started doing it with Liz, and so it just, basically you read one page, and you check off this assignment, and when you finish the assignment, you check it off, and it's just doing nice things for someone, it's not hard at all. And I start, my heart started to change even towards Liz, it drew me even closer to her, and I think her life got a lot better too, because nice things were being done for her. I actually found this book out in our uh, living room the other day, and Liz has been doing this to me. And it's kind of more fun if you don't tell your spouse you're doing it. Then all of a sudden there's just some nice things happening all around. Um, so mini sermon number three, buy this book, and if you can't afford it, I'll buy it for you. Just come see me afterwards. Um, mansion, mansion three on the spiritual side, stability and work. Um, you've, you've done pretty well at this. Um, you're overcoming your sin. You're starting to develop some Christ-like character, and then you start to work. You're very excited about getting out there and doing stuff. You're welcoming refugees. You're working in the prisons. You know, you're teaching Sunday school. You're volunteering at church. You're doing things among the poor. This is awesome. A lot of good work gets done in this stage three. Um, it's great for a church to have a whole lot of stage three people because they're faithful and they're ready to work and they're ready to go. Um, churches get really big on stage three. Um, the unfortunate part is the Christianity that most of us know, it kind of stops here. They think that this is the ultimate. When you're out there doing ministry and working, that's all there is to it. It doesn't go any beyond, beyond that. Um, and it will grow a big church, but there are some pitfalls and things to watch out for. There's dangers in there. The danger, and just so you know, you don't want to stay in any of these, unless you make it seven, but it's tough enough as it is, I know. Um, you don't want to stay in any of them, but if you stay in three, there's an eventual burnout that's going to happen. Because you're saying yes to everything. You become very, very busy. Um, 
but you're missing out on that active intimacy we talk about. You know, it's all passive intimacy because you're always, always ministering, but never taking that time to get away to be with the Lord one-on-one, right? We need that to grow. If we're going to progress in that, active intimacy with God is important. Um, we start to see ourselves as employees rather than sons and daughters of the beloved. We don't want to stay there. It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a necessary step, and it's really good. You get a lot of good, good stuff done there. In the Bible, we see Martha is a really good example of this. Martha went the way of the task became more important than the relationship, right? You see that? Um, also, in Revelation 2.4, Jesus is writing a letter to the Ephesian church, and he says to them as a, as a group, he said, you guys are really good at all these things, but one thing I have against you, you've left your first love. That's the danger of stage three if you stay there too long. Stage four, commitment. You don't get to commitment without work. Well, I'll explain this in a second. Um, <laughs> you don't get to commitment without work. It takes a lot to even get to this point. But um, there's some differentiation that happens here. Sometimes couples begin to compete instead of collaborating or negotiating. And this is really important. Um, they say, tell me if you've heard this before. If you stay together over a long period of time, you have a totally different relationship every seven years. You ever heard that? It's kind of an interesting thing. If you think about it, we're both changing. You know, you and your partner are always changing, and so you're a different person every seven years. And your relationship, you know, you have kids. There's, there's things that happen. You're in different times of life. And so they say every seven years there's a new relationship. And so Liz and I just hit the seven-year mark, and we just had a child. And so things are changing somewhat. And to be honest with you, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Because um, I really liked our first seven years. That relationship was so wonderful. But we're being drawn into something deeper. But what that looks like right now is Liz and I, when we have arguments or disagreements, up until recently, my goal and her goal was, I want to hear you. I, wa- I, want, I want you to feel valued and heard and honored at the end of this discussion. We want to get to the bottom of whatever we're talking about, but I just want to make sure that's my number one goal. Well, that has worked for about seven years, but recently, both of us have decided it's probably more than her, honestly. Um, but sometimes we'll get in one of these things, and I find myself, I just want to win this argument. I'm going to do what it takes to win this argument. I mean, it, my, my focus isn't for her to feel honored and heard. It's I might even change the story just slightly so I come off better. Um, I hate that about myself, and when it comes out, it's It's gross really gross to me, and being married to a marriage and family counselor, it doesn't go unnoticed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I find myself in the wrong a lot in that, but that's no fun when you start to see yourself for that. Um, This is another place couples can get stuck. With our marriage, with our relationship, we should be looking at this as co-laborers, collaborators on a work of art. Our relationship is like a beautiful painting that we're both working on. But when we start to see each other as competitors, I want to beat you in this argument, that's a big red flag. You know, when we need to talk about that. And if you get stuck in that, that's a good time to go see somebody. Um, there are people that are very good at that, and um, counselors. And it's definitely worth the money if that's, a, if that's a thing. Um, this is also where the midlife crisis happens a lot of times. Because there's a question that comes along. 
there has to be something else out there that will fulfill me and that will complete me. That's why if you're picking a spouse, if that hasn't happened yet for you, you want to pick someone who's on both, both of these journeys. Because what's going to fulfill or complete someone is this one, not this one. If he's looking to you to complete you, that's a bad situation. Um, there's the two fleas, two ticks, no dog situation, you know, <laughs> that you always hear about. Um, but a lot of times when you go looking for something else because you're all of a sudden your partner is now your competitor, you're going to go somewhere else. And sometimes that can be, you know, getting your ear pierced and getting a hot new car. Um, hopefully that's what it is. But sometimes it can just be throwing yourself into a new hobby or career change. But on the on the darker side, it can become an affair, an addiction to pornography or some sort of crazy spending or drugs or drugs or you know, trying to come up. So those are things to be wary of in the commitment phase. Mansion 4 over here on this side, this is the longing for more stage. Okay, you're coming off this stage 3 where you've been working, working really hard. You know, when we read the Song of Solomon, there's this line that she says, you know, my brothers have made me work in their vineyards, but my own vineyard I have neglected. Basically saying, I've been working so hard in ministry, doing these good things, that I haven't nurtured my own relationship with the Lord. And there's this cry in our heart, God, there has to be more than this. The work that we've been doing isn't fulfilling us and doesn't seem to be bringing us closer to God. Um, There's this, you guys ever heard of Willow Creek? It's this church in Chicago that's tens of thousands of people. It's a giant, giant church. And they did this thing. They, they had all these programs, and these people were very, very involved. And so they said, well, this must mean spiritual growth. If you come to things and show up and work, then you'll grow spiritually. When they did this giant study of their church, and they found out that wasn't the case at all. People were not growing spiritually just by coming to the program. And they were saying, you know, it requires that active pursuit, intentional pursuit one-on-one with God to do that. Um, and so if you're in stage four, sometimes um, – the church isn't doing it for you um, because you're just showing up to these things and you don't feel like you need something more. You have this cry that I'm tired of learning about you and working for you. I need to know you and experience you and your love in real ways. Uh, usually during this time, you might come across some of these books on the mystics, these people that had this deeper walk with the Lord, and they're intriguing to you and you begin to grow in that. Uh, you might seek spiritual direction in this phase. Uh, you might begin to try different types of prayer. Um, it might take you deeper, things that have worked for other people. In this, in this phase, you'll try anything because your hunger is so high. Um, you'll have new priority. Um, you say no to things, um, whereas in, in stage three, you'll say yes to any ministry opportunity. In this one, you're a little bit more choosy because you need to protect your time and you need to, need to be more intentional about your time with the Lord. Um, many... The church kind of fails us as, as a whole. Um, we're trying not to be one of those places that we lose you in stage four. But suddenly you might stop attending church because uh, they, might, they find it more distracting than helpful. Um, that's just part of the, part of the game. Um, here our staff talks a lot about how do we engage people in all these different uh, mansions. We want this to be a place where you can really learn and feed and continue to grow if you're in stage four, five, or six. But we also want this place to be a place where you can come if you're not even on this chart yet. And we want everybody to be, and that's why we like bring things about like Inward Journey. Um, some of our groups are going into different types of prayer. We want to have something to offer you here. Okay, stage five of the relationships, the growth stage. 
this is a gr- you've made it through stage four. Congratulations if you're here. This is a good place to be. Um, this is a pretty safe and secure place, and you're bonded to your partner at this because you've basically, if you've made it this far, you've been through some trauma, most likely, even getting here. Uh, you've been through some bumps in the road, and um, that's good. You know, like Hell Week and the Navy SEALs, you know, those guys are kind of brothers for life, and they had that bond. Uh, if you make it to the growth stage, you've probably been through some of that. Your goal becomes to help one another as individuals and as partners. And there's this transfer of priority from self to our spouse. Um, again, the Song of Solomon, it starts off and she's saying, my beloved is mine and I am his. First of all, he exists for me, you know, and my pleasure. Um, and then, then the other way around. But that changes, and that's about the stage five change. It's like, okay, no, I am my beloved's and he is mine. One of the things that happens in stage five is your ego is reduced and our own self-importance diminishes. Um, This is grease the wheels number two. Uh, When newlyweds come up to Liz and I and ask us for advice on marriage or anything like that, we always say the first thing we say is don't take yourself very seriously. If you are aware of your own ridiculousness and can laugh about it, that's going to grease the wheels and make everything um, a lot smoother. How many of you are aware that you're ridiculous? You know? You're usually the only one that knows that, but when you've been married a while, your spouse obviously has figured out that you're ridiculous. And so as long as you can ad- accept that and admit that and, and laugh about it, that makes things much easier. Okay. Mansion 5, over here. Uh, this is darkness with hope. Um, the longing is growing stronger from stage 4 and stage 5. So you've, you've said no to a lot of things, and you're spending time, you're being very intentional, but a lot of times you don't get the satisfaction from that in stage five. It can be kind of a dark time. Um, in any of these stages, there's a thing called the wall that can come. We, we call it in, in these circles. And it's just basically a wall. Just, it's stopping you from anything. You can't control it. Uh, it's very dry time. It could be outward things are happening, maybe getting sick and all this kind of thing. Um, that usually happens around that time. Um, What's happening in stage five is you're being weaned from your natural senses to spiritual senses. And the Lord is going to communicate with you in a deeper way that you can't fathom right now. But it's super frustrating because I don't know how to work in that way. Um, but he's transferring us from one to the other. Our ego takes a huge hit here because we don't understand anything. Our hunger's way, way more, but we don't get it. We don't understand what's going on. I don't know how to work in that, in that realm, but he's bringing us in. We feel lost. Um, in Scripture, um, you guys know Jeremiah. He was a prophet of old. Basically, Jeremiah had the worst job in Scripture. <laughs> and he, the Lord said, hey, go and talk to these people and tell them all these things, but they're not going to listen to you. Um, that was the job description of a few of those prophets. And so that's, that's a horrible job description. <laughs> um, but basically, he said, after all this, he's got thrown in a cistern, and he was really thirsty down there. It was in the desert. And he was like, Lord, you've deceived me. Because I'm in love with you now. You've shown me enough of your goodness where I could never walk away. But now you have me doing all these awful jobs, telling people things that they don't want to hear. Um, but you've deceived me. That's a very Mansion 5. It's like, I know too much to walk away now. I know that you're the only thing that's bad. Um, also, remember when Jesus was talking, and he said some hard things, and people, everyone left him except the disciples. And he turns to his disciples and says, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter's like looking at him, he's like, who are we going to go to? You're the only, ones, you're the only one that has uh, the words of eternal life. That's a Mansion 5 uh, 
the stage. Okay, stage six. Mature romantic love. Is that a fun picture? Um, this is a great, this is like the prize. This is where, uh, and we see that it's all worth it. Um, if you reach this phase in your relationship and with your spouse, then this makes that initial infatuation stage seem very shallow and not really like love at all when you look back at it. And this is a, I really hope we get there someday because um, it sounds amazing. Emotional intimacy no lo- is no longer feared and vulnerability is nurtured and nurtured. And your communication's better. Um, not only do you try to figure out the other one, but you accept who they are and embrace their uniqueness for what it is. That sounds nice, right? But just keep in mind that you still have to be man- um, intentional to maintain these stages. Like a crisis could come and you could get lazy again and come back to e- any one of these. Um, our rela- or, I'm sorry, I'm going to do it this way. Um, <laughs> you have to continue to pursue, uh, continue to do the things like the Love Dare book. And there's just, you need to stay in each other's faces and talking and being vulnerable and sharing what's going on. That keeps you going in these things. Um, it's not all that complicated, but you need to stay in it, stay in it, push, push that thing out. Okay, Mansion 6, over here. Now we're over here. There's an inner peace that happens in Mansion 6, but it's a, it's a, it's a different than what you're thinking of. Um, in, this is where Jesus becomes everything to us. It's like, okay, I've lost my taste for pretty much everything except him. Um, and not that you don't enjoy life and you don't enjoy good food and all that kind of thing, but this beco- he becomes the priority. And one of the things that you might hear from people um, during this stage, you'll be very misunderstood if you reach six because you have a very different priority and a very, very different outlook on life than most of the people around you because not a whole lot of people get here. And when you see someone in Mansion 6 and you're not in Mansion 6, you may think, you think that lady's overdoing it a bit? She's a, little, she's a little out there, right? Um, but the beauty of being in Mansion 6 is you don't care what other people think near as much. Uh, your audience has become Jesus, and that's pretty much what you think about. So when people talk bad about you, you're like, eh, that's okay. I don't, I don't feel the need to correct you on that, but um, this is my reality. Uh, it's a good place to be. Sadly, a lot of times, well, not sadly, actually, but a lot of times affliction happens in stage 6. Things go wrong with your body or some, some kind of tragedy happens a lot of times during that phase. But when you're in stage six, you've seen that struggle and suffering lead you to the place you want to get be anyway. So it's not necessarily a negative thing. You don't have this knee-jerk reaction of bad equals or, you know, hard equals bad. It's, okay, this is what the Lord's doing, and I surrender to whatever he's doing. It's a wonderful place. A lot of times in Mansion 6, you start re-engaging with some of the ministries that you may have uh, pulled, pulled back on here, but your motivation is pure, and a lot of times your impact will be way greater when you come back into it. Uh, it's a neat thing to see, to watch happen. Stage 7. Where we're at. Isn't that fun? Co-creation. It's when your relationship becomes something like an entity in itself that blesses other people just to be around. Um, do you guys know some people um, that might that you're thinking of in your head, you can nod at me or say no. Or, no. Um, just some of those people have been together for so long, and they've reached this point of union where just being around them and watching them together is just such an encouragement where we could be there someday. Just It's become its own thing. That collaboration, that beautiful painting that we're working on together is suddenly this work of art that blesses everyone around it. It's amazing. Uh, I, I can think of 
few people. I really hope you get this, okay? Mansion 7, Union. Um, this is a place where very few get, but let's go for it, right? If it's there, we want it. Um, there's a continuing abiding in the presence of the Lord. There's a sense of peace and calm. The soul and the spirit aren't fighting one another, but they've become one. They have the same will, the same desires. This living union with ex- this experience. And like that, if you're around the stage Mansion 7 person, you'll probably know it. There'll be something about them that you just can't explain. If any of you guys get to stage seven, please make an appointment with me because I'd love to pick your brain. Uh, I'd love to meet someone in that in that phase. Um, I hope, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get there, but I'm praying for it. Let's go for this thing, right? Okay, I have some questions for you. We're done with this. Um, all of us are in this. We're somewhere on here. If you're here, we'll just count that as well. Uh, you haven't gone to the stage one yet, but um, we're all in this, and some of us are in this. My question for you is, where are you? Just ask the question. There's no right or wrong answer. There's no shame about being on, the, on this end of it or, or pride about being on this end of it. It's just a question to ask the Lord. Where am I, and what am I doing maybe that I can move along? Because I want to go deeper. I want to know you deeper. I want everything to be purer and truer. Over here... This is a great conversation to have with your spouse, and I would challenge you to have this conversation before you, you hit the driveway <laughs> today. Where do you think we are? What are the things we need to watch out for right now? Are we noticing some things? Do we, are, do we see each other as on the same team, or am I seeing you as a competitor when we have arguments? These are good questions, but just know I want us to have a vision today where we can move down this towards this. This is where we're all headed. We want to be down here. We want to move. We want to stay engaged, and you do it the same way with either one of you. You stay engaged, you stay vulnerable, you stay talking, right? So I have those conversations on the way home today. Do you feel stuck in your relationship with Jesus? Do you feel like the passion is gone or it never even came? Have you lost hope that, you ever, that you'll ever feel, feel fully loved and embraced by God? Hang in there. Keep going. Stay engaged and pursuing, and I promise you that he will pull you deeper and deeper into his heart, and you'll be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. That's a promise from him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for putting us on a journey, a journey with you, and if we have one with our spouse, I thank you that we get to enter into this journey with our whole hearts. Lord, if my heart isn't 100% in, then let me get there. I want to love with reckless abandon, and I want to be intentional in pursuing you and in pursuing my wife and my husband. Help us to avoid the pitfalls that stand in the way. Help us not to listen to the voice of the enemy that would tell us that you or our spouse mean us harm. Give us a vision for what could be in our marriages and in our relationship with you. We want to love you as much as we possibly can, and we want to go all the way in our relationships with you and with each other. Don't let us settle and get lazy and take each other for granted. Lord, motivate our hearts to keep going, to keep talking, to keep being vulnerable. Give us the love that is as strong as death, as unyielding as the grave, the love that burns like blazing fire that floods can't hush it. Let us look back someday on all of these stages and say, by the grace of God, we made it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
Thank you, Charlie. Um, this is the time in our service when we come to the table. And so in preparation from the, for that, could you join me in this responsible reading? The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 